Amateur Radio Newsline Report number 2393 with a release date of Friday, September 8th, 2023 to follow in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. The following is a QST. The retail giant Radio Shack is poised for a U.S. comeback. NASA will test transmissions using laser light, and hams in Alabama mark a painful moment in American history. All this and more as Amateur Radio Newsline Report number 2393 comes your way right now. From around the world, this is Newsline. Amateur Radio's independent, on-the-air news and bulletin service. Now, reporting from Union, Kentucky, here's Neil Rapp, WB9VPG. We begin this week with news that many hams around the United States have been waiting forever to hear. The beloved electronics retailer Radio Shack is returning to the U.S. marketplace under new ownership. The Radio Shack name is coming back from a difficult history that ended in its pervasive presence with more than 5,000 locations around the U.S. The company filed for bankruptcy twice under its previous ownership, and only a handful of its franchised locations were able to maintain a market presence. Now the brand's largest franchisee, the Unicomer Group, based in El Salvador, has acquired the company. Although they aren't sharing much yet about their plans, the vice president of franchises, Rudy Simon, released a statement saying, quote, this acquisition will allow us to start another phase of growth and innovation in the shopping experience with the latest technology, end quote. Stay tuned. If you've ever found yourself answering the question, ham radio... Do people still do that? The next story from Jim Meachin, ZL2BHF, will strike a familiar chord with you. Organizers in India called it an amateur radio awareness program. And as more than 250 attendees in West Bengal, India, soon found out, amateur radio is thriving and doing good work to help society. Held on the 1st of September at the Ramakrishna Mission School on the west bank of the Hooghly River, the session devoted itself to the science and technology that brings amateur radio alive on the air. The program also touched on the critical role ham radio plays during a disaster or acting as an informal social service agency assisting families and communities in crisis. This non-technical portion of the presentation is particularly relevant to those at the mission, where the school focuses on humanitarian work in the community. Members of the West Bengal Radio Club, which has a long history of community service work with amateur radio communication, led the program. This is Jim Meachin, ZL2BHF. The U.S. Space Agency is ready to shed new light on ways to supplement RF systems for communication. In this case, that light is laser light, and the experiment is testing higher bandwidth data transfer. Kent Peterson, KC0DGY, brings us up to date. The mission is not NASA's first test of using optical communication technology instead of RF to transmit data. But it is an important move in making the technology part of regular space missions. A terminal known as Illuma-T will arrive on the International Space Station via a SpaceX commercial resupply mission where, once installed, it will send laser light through an optical telescope to the Laser Communication Relay Demonstration, or LCRD. 
The LCRD is on board a U.S. Defense Department satellite in a geosynchronous orbit 22,000 miles from Earth. It is capable of transmitting data, pictures, and video at a rate of 1.2 gigabits per second, a rate comparable to some optical fiber internet connections. The LCRD has been on the satellite where it has been beaming data to ground stations in Hawaii and California. NASA believes a successful demonstration of optical communications will provide an enhanced way to transfer information and one day perhaps spoken communications from the ISS through a smaller, lighter system that also requires less power. This is Kent Peterson, KC0, DGY. In the U.S., emergency communicators are looking back on lessons learned from Hurricane Idalia as we hear from Randy Sly, W4XJ. Just like winter snowflakes, no two hurricanes are alike, depending on the size, wind speed, rainfall, and travel speed. So activations by emergency personnel, including amateur radio operators, have to be flexible. Last week's Hurricane Idalia is a good case in point. Bobby Graves, KB5HAV, manager of the Hurricane WatchNet, told AR Newsline, Going into Idalia, knowing this was going to be a fast-moving hurricane, we did our best to line up well ahead of projected landfall, reporting stations, storm shelters, and emergency operations centers. We were expecting the storm to remain at least a Category 1 hurricane into South Carolina. After it was downgraded to a tropical storm, we changed gears and began calling for any post-storm reports. One serious issue involved a very strong wide signal causing interference on the upper end of 20 meters. The FCC later confirmed that it was over-the-horizon radar that originated outside the U.S. and was not considered intentional. Aries in northern Florida, Georgia, and South Carolina were also activated. HF operations linked counties to the state EOC in Florida, and much of the emergency communications activity took place through the linked UHF repeaters of the Florida Statewide Amateur Radio Network. This is Randy Sly, W4XJ. An amateur radio activation in Birmingham, Alabama, will be recalling a painful history lesson that rocked the United States 60 years ago. The call sign K0MIK will be on the air on September 15th and 16th from the Birmingham Civil Rights National Monument in Kelly Ingram Park, which has the POTA designation K3602. The park is across the street from the 16th Street Baptist Church, where on September 15th, 1963, while Sunday school children inside were hearing a lesson in A Love That Forgives, the church was bombed. Four young women died that day. Their pictures are on the monument that stands facing the church. K0MIK is the call sign of the OMIC Amateur Radio Association, an international organization that is the largest predominantly black amateur radio association in the U.S. The activation will be primarily on 40, 20, 17, and 15 meters using CW sideband plus via satellites. Tom Gaines, KB5FHK, told Newsline that anyone living in or visiting the Birmingham area on those days is welcome to stop by the activation, which is also a part of OMIC's ongoing POTA challenge. There's still time to get early bird admittance if you're attending the Radio Society of Great Britain's annual convention as we hear from Jeremy Boot, G4NJH. 
If you haven't already booked your attendance at the Radio Society of Great Britain's convention next month, you still have a few days to take advantage of early bird pricing. Convention organizers have extended the deadline for special pricing to the 14th of September. Although experts will be presenting on a variety of topics from RF electrical interference to radio astronomy, the keynote speaker is certain to draw most of the attention. He is Colonel John Doody, a retired officer of the UK Royal Corps of Signals. He'll share his vast knowledge on cryptography, cyber security and information assurance. The convention will take place at Kent's Hill Park Conference Centre in Milton Keynes from the 13th to the 15th of October. Additional details are available at rsgb.org forward slash convention. I'm Jeremy Boot, G4NJH. Hams with disabilities who have received encouragement and training through the Courage Handy Ham program have something to celebrate this month, and Kevin Trotman, N5PRE, tells us why. For 56 years, the Courage Handy Ham program has worked with people who have disabilities, encouraging them to work toward their goal of becoming a licensed radio amateur. The special event call signs W0ZSW and W0EQO will be on the air Monday, September the 11th in a five-hour special event QSO party that is part of this year's Handy Ham Radio Camp. The operators will be marking the program's 56th anniversary by calling QRZ using CW and SSB on 10, 15, 20, and 40 meters. The hours of the QSO party will be from 1600 to 2100 UTC. The call sign W0ZSW was originally assigned to Rochester, Minnesota amateur Ned Carmen, who helped bring the Handyham program into being based on his work in a clinic with individuals who had severe physical disabilities. The call sign W0EQO is assigned to the program's Camp Courage North station, which was originally used by the first Handyham station that provided remote HF access to amateurs who had no other way of getting on the air. This is Kevin Trotman, N5PRE. Time for you to identify your station. We are the Amateur Radio Newsline, heard on bulletin stations around the world, including the WW8GM repeater of the General Motors Amateur Radio Club in Detroit, Michigan on Saturdays at 9 p.m. local time. The first class of young participants in a program based at the National Radio Astronomy Observatory are advancing as hams. Cell MB KB3TZD has those details. The program, known as Exploring the Electromagnetic Spectrum with Amateur Radio, has inspired its first group of young participants to explore something else following 20 weeks of instruction at the National Radio Astronomy Observatory. They're planning to upgrade their technician licenses to general. They are also joining various amateur radio clubs as well as the ARRL and engaging with a virtual amateur radio club on Discord. The observatory launched this two-year program for high school and college-age students with a grant from Amateur Radio Digital Communications to provide an educational outreach to members of the indigenous, people of color, and LGBTQIA communities. The observatory is preparing to receive its next group of students, a total of 18 participants from across the United States. As with the first group, those running the program are hoping the curriculum with its hands-on activities can be the entry point for many of the students toward later careers in the STEM fields. And, of course, a window into the rewards of being an amateur radio operator. This is Cell MB, KB3, TZD. 
In Europe, an amateur radio activation is honoring the legacy of a once popular British pirate broadcast station. Jeremy Boot, G4NGH, brings us that story. Long before the British pirates broadcast station Radio Caroline took to the airwaves from a boat off the Essex coast, there was Radio Luxembourg. Much to the displeasure of the BBC, the English language service was launched 90 years ago and became one of Europe's most popular stations. According to some reports, the long and medium wave broadcast of its programmes and its British presenters peaked at an estimated 78 million daily listeners before Radio Luxembourg went off the air in December of 19. Since July, amateur radio operators and shortwave listeners are hearing Radio Luxembourg again, this time symbolically with a call sign LX90RTL. The station is on the air until the end of this year. Various ham radio operators throughout Luxembourg are calling QRZ to mark the anniversary of that first broadcast. They can be heard on the HF bands using CWSSB and the digital modes. They can also be contacted via satellite. The special event radio operators have been carefully listening to, especially when the QSOs trigger moments of nostalgia. The operators write on the station's page on QRZ.com, quote, Many of you tell us about your memories and the great time listening to Radio Luxembourg, especially the great entertainment with the best music on the air over the years. End quote. The DARC Bureau will confirm all QSOs automatically, and logs are being uploaded to Club Log, Logbook of the World, and EQSL. This is Jeremy Boot, G4NJH. If you have expertise in engineering, technology, or other areas relevant to radio, there may be a seat for you on an FCC advisory body. Interested? Patrick Clark, K8TAC, explains how to apply. If you work in broadcasting or have a background in science, engineering, or technology, you may be interested in becoming a member of the FCC's Technological Advisory Council. The TAC provides guidance to the Commission and looks into issues that could have an impact on emerging technologies. The Council's input is expected to help in the creation of informed policies. Members will be expected to be able to weigh in on such concerns as spectrum sharing techniques, 5G, and artificial intelligence. The term lasts two years and there are four Council meetings a year, which are one-day sessions. For other details or to submit a nomination, send an email to TAC at FCC.gov. Nominations are received until the 22nd of September. The Council expects to meet in December. This is Patrick Clark, K8TAC. The inaugural Invictus Games were held in Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park in London in 2014 as an international celebration of wounded members of the military, achieving marking a triumph over their various challenges. This year, the Games are taking place in the German city of Dusseldorf, co-hosted by the German Federal Armed Forces. As veterans and serving members of the military compete in archery, cycling, powerlifting, swimming, and other activities, amateur radio is also playing a big role in the arena. As the Games enter their second week, special event station DQ23IVG continues to be on the air, making contact to celebrate this triumph of the human spirit. More than 500 competitors have arrived from 21 nations and are competing in 10 disciplines. To recognize their achievements, hams are calling QRZ until the 16th of September. See QRZ.com for additional information.
In the world of DX, listen for Torsten DL4APJ and Udo DL2AQI operating as MD stroke DL4APJ and MD stroke DL2AQI respectively from the Isle of Man, IOTA number EU116 on the 10th through the 19th of September. They will operate using CW sideband and the digital modes on 80 through 10 meters. See QRZ.com for QSL details. Listen for Randall, KD8JN stroke 4, operating from Hatteras Island, IOTA number NA067, from the 10th to the 15th of September. He will be using CW and sideband on or around the usual IOTA frequencies, QSL via his home call. Be listening for a team of radio operators from the Rebel DX group who are using the call sign T22T from Tuvalu, IOTA number OC015, from the 21st of September to the 9th of October. The team will be on 160 through 6 meters using sideband and FT8, either in normal or foxhound mode. Visit the QRZ.com page for T22T for further details. This week's final story looks at something we cannot see. But of course, we're going to look at it anyway. Here's Ralph Squalachi, KK6 ITB. There is beauty in the unseen. Ask any ham radio operator who has sent voice, code, or data into space with the hope that its path finds a receptive, friendly destination. It never fails to engage our imagination when the message arrives undetected by the unassisted eye. In the U.S., the roadmap of the FCC's frequency allocations is always evolving. One of its most recent printed versions has captivated a New York City ham radio operator, John Keegan, KE3GAN. Early this year, John wrote about a large, colorful poster on his blog, Beautiful Public Data, and called this roadmap, quote, a crazy beautiful chart, end quote. Indeed, the multicolored poster is a painter's palette of the unseen spectrum from 9 kilohertz to 300 gigahertz. The multicolored poster is produced by the National Telecommunications Information Administration, which, together with the FCC, manages radio frequency assignments for different users, among them aviation, broadcast, satellite, and ham radio. The U.S. government printing office sells it for $6 in U.S. currency. John's blog reports that the chart of frequency allocations is also popular among U.S. lawmakers who pass regulations that affect the spectrum and need to better understand its uses. The latest version of this chart, produced in 2016, is expected to be due for an update soon, according to an NTIA specialist who spoke with John. With changes in technology, it's possible that these many colors of the frequency allocation chart may change again. And like the spectrum itself... It will surely be in ways that are, as yet, unseen. This is Ralph Squillacci, KK6ITB. If you have a piece of amateur radio news that you think Newsline would be interested in, send it on. We're not talking about advertising your club's upcoming ham fest or field day participation, but something that is out of the ordinary. If so, send us a brief overview via the contact page at arnewsline.org. If it's newsworthy and we would like to cover it, we'll get back to you for more details. Meanwhile, visit our website to learn more about the Amateur Radio Newsline Haiku Challenge. Use the entry form on our website and please follow the rules for writing your three-line haiku. Five syllables in the first line, seven in the second line, and five in the third. 
With thanks to Amateur Radio Daily, Ambarish Nog Biswas, VU2 JFA, Beautiful Public Data Blog, Courage Handy Ham, CQ Magazine, David BR, K7DB, 425DX News, FCC, Forbes, Jimmy Earl, WB5MET, NASA, the National Radio Astronomy Observatory, Radio Society of Great Britain, Radio.World, Retail Insight Network, ShortwaveRadio.de, Space.com, The Street, and you, our listeners. That's all from the Amateur Radio Newsline. We remind our listeners that Amateur Radio Newsline is an all-volunteer, non-profit organization that incurs expenses for its continued operation. If you wish to support us, please visit our website at arnewsline.org and know that we appreciate you all. We also remind our listeners that if you like our newscast, please leave us a five-star rating wherever you subscribe to us. For now, with Karen Eve Murray, KD2GUT, at the news desk in New York, and our news team worldwide, I'm Neil Rapp, WB9VPG in Union, Kentucky, saying 7-3. And as always, we thank you for listening. Amateur Radio Newsline is copyright 2023. All rights reserved.